didn't start the fire It was always burning since the world's been turning We didn't start the fire It was always burning And it's the end of the world as we know it Welcome to This Is How We Die, a podcast about cities, infrastructure, and natural disasters, and how you can survive. I'm Megan. And I'm Megan. Hi, Megan. We're finally back in the studio. How is today a little bit different than normal? Well, today is a little bit different. Today, we decided to do a mini episode. So we had to take a short hiatus because I had to take care of some family issues back east. So I was gone for a couple of weeks. And while I was there, I thought to myself, we should do a mini episode specifically about the Johnstown flood. Ooh, I'm intrigued. And why are we doing the Johnstown flood? I was in the I was with my mom and my aunt and um they we started talking and somehow the Johnstown flood came up. And both my aunts and my mother lit up like Christmas trees. And they're like the Johnstown flood and they started naming off all of this detail about the Johnstown flood. They knew so much about it. And I was like, how do you know all this? And they're like, Megan, don't you remember? We took you to the Flood Museum like every weekend. And I was like, what? You took me to the Flood Museum that often? What a cheerful childhood. And they were like, yes, like you love the Johnson Flood Museum. And they're like, you know, whenever the Johnson Flood of 77 happened, your grandfather, that was all he could speak about for months. And every Sunday, we would all get in the car and drive around and look at the flood damage. And I was like, and it was this moment where I realized, you know, I I kind of knew that I got a lot of my, like, obsession with research and all these things from one side of my family. But then I realized all of a sudden where my love of, like, disasters came from. <laughs> and it was for sure from my mom and her whole side of the family. And so once they said this, I did actually recall the Johnstown flood. And I decided to just, you know, look it up a little bit. Go back into my, you know, like childhood, childhood memories. Well, I was excited when you sent this to me because not only is it a little piece of Megan's incredibly (laughs) disaster-focused childhood, uh, but also it's it's like you know Stefan from SNL. It has it has everything. everything. It has everything. It is the ultimate disaster situation. It has infrastructure failure. It has rich people acting badly. It has barbed wire. It has both a tsunami ball and an epic fire. There's nothing that this story doesn't have. And the thing is, is every week we tell you about what could happen, what could be the worst case scenario. And everyone says, oh, well, when would that ever happen? This is when it happens. Yeah, we're always like, well, a bad thing happens and then cascading impacts and then another bad thing and then triple bad things with bad thing whipped cream on top. And sometimes we feel like we're being a little bit dramatic. Yeah, but this is proof that it's not. It's not dramatic. It can happen. And it happens. It happens here in the Johnstown flood, which is to date the third worst disaster in on, on U.S. soil. So the, uh, the first is Galveston, the second is 9-11, the third, Johnstown Flood. So the Johnstown Flood we're talking about... Of, 19, of 1889. There's been several. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I should clarify that. Yeah, so the one we're talking about uh, took place May 31st of 1889. Um, 
and followed a lot of days of pounding rain. And before we really talk about like the moment of the flood, we have to talk about the decisions people make with infrastructure leading up to infrastructure failure and all the ways we probably could have done this a little bit better. Yes. So the thing about the Johnson flood that makes it so infamous is that to this day, it has been blamed, and quite rightly so, on a bunch of very rich people. We had a canal system in Pennsylvania that we once trains came along and you didn't have to go over the mountain, you could go through the mountain, the reservoir wasn't needed as much. People ask, why is it bad to privatize public infrastructure? This answers that question. So they sold this reservoir. And the dam. And the dam to a group of wealthy people, wealthy men to start a a fishing club or a yachting club of some sort where all the wealthy people from um, Pittsburgh could like leave the city to go and have like their like clean air for once. And (laughs) the air in Pittsburgh was really bad in the 1890s. They sold it to them, and they had to manage it. And so the first thing that they were concerned about was, you know, their carriages. Their carriages couldn't go over the dam. So, Megan, what do you think they did? Well, if I had to guess what would be a really stupid thing to do with the dam, I would say they lowered it by three feet so that it was wide enough for carriages to cross. (laughs) And then they took out the piping system that allowed them to, uh, you know— express some of the overflow when the reservoir got too high. Yes, they sold the drainage pipe for scrap metal. (laughs) Well, how else can you afford to lower your dam by three feet or set up your little fishing cottages? And then they had holes in the dam and they patched it with clay, which is very porous. They also didn't want to lose all those fish, you know, because they they had a fishing club for a reason. So they put screens on all of the drainage um, areas so that the fish couldn't escape. Well, I can't think of anything bad that would happen when you have screens up against a dam. Yeah, like, what's the worst that could happen? I can't imagine that debris hoping to find a way through would just collect there until there was a lot of pressure behind the dam. Yeah, and so the thing is that you could think, oh, this is just casual um, negligence, you know, just kind of like how you, like, sometimes don't take the leaves out of the gutters or something. You just kind of forget about it. But actually, there had been a couple reports where engineers had come by and been like, this is not good beforehand. And actually, before the dam actually burst, they had actually sent down telegrams to the city of Johnstown telling them that it could break. But the city of Johnstown didn't pay attention because, well, first of all, by the time that they sent that message, Johnstown was already underneath 10 feet of water. The police couldn't really do much about it. But also, they had gotten so many warnings about this before because everybody knew the dam wasn't in good shape. So it's not like they didn't have lots of prior warning that this dam was not, like, up to par. Yeah, and basically every time it rained really hard, the, you know, fishing club would send messages down to Johnstown that were like, hey, uh, the dam's probably not going to hold up to this. So this was like, okay, yeah, your dam's about to burst, I'm sure. We've got kind of a small flooding problem going on right now. Please leave us alone. It makes sense that they, it was, you know, the wolf cries, uh, wait, the wolf cries wolf? The boy who cried wolf. The boy who cries wolf. A wolf that cries wolf is that just howling. <laughs> <laughs> then we get to May 31st, 1889. 
and it's been raining. And the folks at the fish club are trying everything they can to try to divert water from behind the dam. So, And by doing everything they can, they mean taking this fish screens off. Clearing the fish screens, <laughs> trying to dig culverts, you know, everything they can at the very last minute when they could have been doing so much the whole time. Yeah, like if they had just done even the most basic amount of maintenance beforehand, there was a good chance this wouldn't have happened. But yeah, so at the very last minute, they're trying, they're desperate. They're like, oh no, it's going to burst. And they give up and they just go sit on the edges of like either side of the dam and just wait for it to burst. And burst it does. Yeah. And with it comes water. So very, very much water. At one point, it was flowing as fast as the fastest part of the Mississippi River. And that's just, that's a wall of water coming at you. So whenever it burst, it was three times the flow rate of across Niagara Falls. Like, that's how much, like that, it's just insanity. It had 15 million cubic meters of water behind it. It's a wall of water. And so I was the first thinking it was a like a tidal wave. But then I did some research and the actual term for what this was was a tsunami ball because it was a tsunami but in the shape of a pencil. And it was and the thing is is that it didn't just like it's not it wasn't like a straight shot to to Johnstown which would have been bad enough. Instead it burst through, and you have to imagine it's it's a dam, and it's going down this 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 steep channel. So if you there's like a valley surrounded by mountains because we're in the middle of Allegheny Mountains. Yeah, this is actually the deepest gorge I saw on like the east side of the Rockies. Yeah, so we're used to gorges over here, but it's the deepest on the east side. Camping there can be terrible, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> It's so hard because also the mosquitoes and it's so wet, you know, and then it's just it's not like camping in in Washington State, which is lovely and nice. It's it's pretty brutal. So it's coming through as a torpedo of water, a blast of water. And Johnstown's not where it gets first. It first goes through a different town where it collects a number of buildings. <laughs> it's not funny. It's not funny. But it it's just so it picked up a oh, – I'm going to let you tell them. I actually forget the word now. What is it? The the fence, the oh, barbed wire fence. Oh, we haven't gotten there yet. Oh, we haven't gotten there no. yet? No. First, so it goes through city and it picks up houses and it runs into a train trestle. Oh, yeah. And it starts to build its own dam again with all the debris it's picked up. And so – all of those debris, these trees and these houses are piling up on the train trestle and a reservoir is building behind it. And the pressure gets to be too great and the train trestle collapses and we have essentially a second dam break happen when like all the pressure that built up behind that, just like we'd had with the South Fork Dam, explodes out. But with even more force than it originally had. And lots of debris. <laughs> So much debris. And it starts taking down the factories. And one of the factories on, on the river that it goes through is the wire factory where it picks up huge amounts of barbed wire and starts twisting it around all the other debris it's carrying. And it starts just pummeling down on Johnstown. Like there could not be a worse factory to hit than a barbed wire factory. 
just just the odds of it is just terrible. So it had like two different situations where it's been caught up and burst forward with even more with even more force. And so just the stories of this, I and I grew up on them, is just horrifying. Apparently it looked like something like a black mist like coming to the city. A train conductor who saw this happen and he reversed his train and just reversed on this the on the the tracks, putting his like whistle or horn as like loud as he could to try to warn people. And that actually did allow some people to survive. Other people that were on the train, they saw it coming. And the people who just sat there were like, oh, no, they all died. This is what I'm saying. You need to be able to respond in emergencies. You know, if you see a weird, dark thing coming towards you, you don't sit in the train. You do what the people who survived did. They ran out of the train and they found higher ground and they survived. Yeah, and higher ground is what they needed because at points this was 70 feet deep. 70 feet in a landlocked area. A tsunami ball hit a town that is com- it's five and a half hours from the ocean. <laughs> so, it is so landlocked. Not so much tsunami training then. Yeah. So it goes through this town and it's collecting all these additional houses and debris and it's full of barbed wire. And then what happens? Oh, this part's actually like hard. So there was a there was a stone bridge that was actually quite beautiful. One thing I want to say is that before this flood, Johnstown was it was the same size as Pittsburgh is. It, it was they were they were two rival cities. Johnstown was on the up and up. It was doing really well. This bridge, the stone bridge, um, ever all the debris got caught on it. You know, and so by debris we mean the barbed wire. We mean the trains that had swept up. And we mean the houses and, unfortunately, a lot of the people. Once again, all the debris got caught on this bridge and created another dam. It's eventually, it did manage to break through, but not with the same force because it, it was on a flatter land and it was more spread out, so it just kind of seeped out. But the problem about that is that there was a gasoline tanker in one of the trains and it exploded. And so the entire bridge caught on fire. So the people that were caught in this, they either drowned to death or they burned to death. It was terrible. It was, it's the worst possible situation. Yeah, it's bad enough to have a dam burst and then another dam burst and then a trip of high-speed water through a barbed wire factory and then the creation of another dam backup that then catches on fire. So it really was like everything that could possibly go wrong in this situation went very, very wrong. And about 2,000, well, how, was it, how many people was it? 2,209 2, was the original death count. <laughs> Though um, a few years after this happened, uh, one of the folks who had been counted as dead came strolling into town and was like, what? I'm still here. I just, you know, once I freed myself from the rubble, headed off to this other town to start a new life. So uh, they had to lower it to 2,208. Yeah. And I think it was a little less than 500 people, children who died because children were very hard hit because obviously they had the, the shortest legs and they couldn't run very fast. Yeah, and the one that like really got me as like a mom was um, 99 entire families were disappeared by it. Yeah. Just from top to bottom, the whole family was gone. The thing that's the most upsetting about the Johnstown flood is that it was entirely avoidable entirely avoidable. 
Yeah, there's nothing that really gets me like going like deferred maintenance on infrastructure and failing to like take care of the infrastructure you're in charge of. And dams especially because we when that water gets held back, we run in and start building under those because usually it becomes very fertile, great land and a good place to live. But we're deeply counting on the dam to hold up and protect us. Yeah, so if there's, like, one thing you don't scrimp on, it's dam maintenance. <clears throat> Government. Or <clears throat> wealthy fish club owners. <laughs> yes. We can't wait. This cop can last for both of them. But it, it actually did make a huge impact on how we viewed the responsibility of private citizens with when it came to public infrastructure. Uh, because this was a very wealthy club with some of the most... Um, like the largest names of the day. So they had Carnegie. They, Carnegie yeah. was a member. Like Frick was also a member. And uh, the future Secretary of State from like, uh, he was also a member. And if you look at the whole list of these people, like they were all the titans of utilities throughout um, the Midwestern area. So these were like the wealthiest people in the states and in the region. And so, of course, they took no responsibility but there was a lot of rage to this day there's a lot of rage like people you know if you go to pittsburgh guys everything's carnegie but if you go to johnstown people are like we hate that guy well yeah and so you'd think like okay all these wealthy people and they did a bad job of maintaining the dam and it failed and it killed a lot of people so that must have cost them a pretty penny but no Like, yeah, they made a lot of donations. They, like, contributed to the disaster fund. They contributed to the Red Cross with Clara Barton. (laughs) Like, the real, like, original Red Cross who came in to respond and was there for four months. But when the people of the town sued, the courts found that they couldn't find fault with the fishing club because at that time you had to prove that there had been, like, purposeful negligence to hurt people or that they had like intended for there to be like this impact that killed people and so the courts ruled it just an act of god but that was sort of like the last straw for ruling things that way and courts kind of the american law system rose up to kind of respond to that and actually started to implement the idea of liability and criminal negligence yeah yeah so you didn't have to have the intent of be of liability, but if you modified the natural landscape in an unnatural way, or even like a lot of the liability laws we run into now, like holding people accountable for products that kill people, it's because like this changed the American legal system so much so that the outcomes of your actions could be held against you regardless of your intent. The wealthy people, they did get off like completely scot-free, but in some ways, but in other ways not. So... Carnegie is still very much like a very big name and he has a university. But also, if you're from Pennsylvania, you also know that he did all that to try to make up for the fact that he killed all those people because people held him directly responsible for the rest of his life for that. And he knew that. And we still do hold him responsible because it was their club, you know? So, I mean, and why is this still relevant today to us? Like, yes. we're talking about this flood that happened over 100 years ago, and it's still relevant in Johnstown for reasons, and it's still relevant for us to talk about on this podcast because, you know, we see the echoes today. 
Yeah, there's still a lot of deferred maintenance, and there's still a lot of deferred maintenance for dams. There's one dam. There's a dam that's outside of Dallas. Yes, the Louisville Dam. So I've been following the Louisville Dam for like a while now. So Louisville Dam is, it's in very precarious shape, and if it bursts, it'll potentially be even worse than the Johnstown flood. It has a lot more water behind it. In 2015, it almost broke. Um, they said they were going to fix it. It is now 2019. They just received funding to start trying to work on it for 150 million dollars, but they haven't actually yet started any work on it. So every day that that dam is there, it's a risk to people, and it's just one dam of several dams. 70% of our country's um, 87,000 dams are past 50 years old. There are high risk ones. Those are the ones that will cause like the most fatalities. But but there's just a lack of deferred. It's deferred maintenance. Yeah, there's a. I mean, with all of our infrastructure, it's so much less sexy to like shore up a dam than to build like a fancy new roadway or bridge. Like I understand why people want to put their money towards like this nice tunnel instead of you know keeping up the infrastructure they had all along. But we. The infrastructure that fails us is the infrastructure that we start to ignore, that we rely on so heavily, but don't put any of the funding and time into maintaining. Like, remember that Hurricane Katrina, it wasn't so bad because of the hurricane. It was bad because the levees failed. Anyway, this is a dark note. Yeah. So on that dark on note. On that dark note. <laughs> vote for funding for your infrastructure. Get out there and support deferred maintenance correction. Write to your congressman. Tell him all of your thoughts about all the infrastructure and the deferred maintenance and how you just want it fixed. Because I know this is what you really care about. And it should actually be what you really care about. I'm just saying. That's we can close. That is our mini episode on the Johnstown Flood. We have our episode on Los Angeles coming out soon. If you don't follow us on Instagram, follow us at This Is How We Die Podcast, and you'll know what's coming up next. There you go. Look, we're so good at this. Oh, oh we need a tagline still. We are never going to have a tagline. You hate all my options. No, I do like your options. What are your um, No, I don't remember. Uh, live to die another day. No, I, I just love that one so much. Die. That literally sounds like there's absolutely no way you can win and you will die. But we will die. It is the, it is the price of our mortality. But we're not going to naturally disaster die. We don't know that. <laughs> well, I'm determined not to. <laughs> naturally well, disaster die. Die. Naturally disaster die. <laughs>